move into this series on the seasons of life is I really do want us to live better. I want us to love God more. I want us to keep our commitments better. I want us to be a better version of who we are by the grace of God. I want us to have a better year than we would have had. So I feel like how we start something out makes a difference. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna really, I'm hoping and believing that our time here will cause certain things to be awakened in us that would cause us to think more deeply and reflect more honestly and pray more sincerely about what it is God might be saying to us. Because I think God speaks if we listen. He's not just a God who used to do things and say things. He still speaks if we're open. So, you know, this series, The Seasons of Life, um, the first time I shared around this theme was uh, 10 years ago. And I was a much younger man of, of 34 in 1998. And uh, I was, you know, because I was thinking back over this. The only, the only story I have is mine, so I share it. I was thinking back to uh, that period 10 years ago and, and how different the church was and how different, you know, my life was. And I mean, you think back to your life 10 years ago, there's, you know, there's periodically times when it's good for us to pull back and think and to reflect on where we've been, where we are, where we're going. I think this is a good time to do that. In fact, part of what I want to challenge us around here again is making some time to really think and reflect and ask good questions and be honest with God. We're only passing through. We have a very short life, especially compared to eternity. And I don't even know when my life's going to end. I am not promised tomorrow. One of the things I had d did when I first you know, I, my, it was my desire. I said, you know, when I first did the series, I said, you know what? I think I'd like to do every 10 years, I'd like to go ahead and try to share again around this theme and see how it, my perspective has changed perhaps just 10 years later. But even that, I, there's no guarantees. Now, I'm, I'm hoping that I've got about three more series left in me. <laughs> but we'll see. You know, by that time, I'm going to be in the middle of winter. And... Um, thinking about that and just uh, how then should we live? How should we live in the season of our life that we're in right now? Are there some things that we need to lay aside? Are there some things that we need to be treasuring more thoughtfully and carefully? Not treating them as poorly. I want to I say, and I'm going to say it through the whole thing, is let's love God and let's take this seriously. Um, it was about 3,000 years ago, there was another man. The way I see it, I picture it in my mind's eye, he was sitting on some type of a table with some type of a writing utensil. He was sitting in a palace in Jerusalem, and he was overlooking the city and as the sun began to set on the cityscape, as it were, and the sky began to turn into different shades of blue, he began to think about his life and about where he was and about what had happened to him in his life. And he began to write. And the product of that writing is the book of Ecclesiastes, and the man's name was Solomon. And it's probably the greatest man of his day. He writes these words, and these are in your handout. 
Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, that's where we're at. Chapter 1, the opening movement. Here are the words of the preacher. He called himself the preacher, is the teacher. The son of David, the king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity. That's his first line. This man who had achieved everything, possessed more than any of us will ever possess. His first line as he thought about life's limited duration and how he truly couldn't hold on to anything. His first line was, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And then he began to think, he says, but what profit does a man have for all his labor, a person have for all their labor in which they toil under the sun? By the way, whenever he uses that phrase, under the sun, he means in this life, under the sun. One generation, he mused, passes away. Soon I'll be gone. Another will step in to take my place. I was young, now I'll, and soon I'll be old. One, uh, one, think about it like a wave. One comes in and another goes out. Periodically, there are generational turnings. I mean, a lot of what's happening now is that what's often called the greatest generation is beginning to age. We're losing a lot of that generation. There's a generational shift as a new generation is entering in. It's having all kinds of implications politically, socially. Frequently in generational turnings, there's a lot of angst in the culture. But every generation has kind of an identity, and yet, and yet there are seasons to our lives. Again, I thought, thinking back to when I was starting out, I mean, my, my, uh, I was thinking about my family. Now, 10 years ago, I was at a different period in my life. I mean, everything was much, we had, my wife and I, we had four young children in our house. Oldest son, Caleb, was nine years old. Our, our oldest daughter, Chloe, she was just about turning eight. In fact, today she turns 18 years old. If you would have told me I would have had an 18-year-old daughter. I, I, I don't think of myself as being that old. But I, and yet at the same time, um, you know, our younger son then was what, he was, he was five years old, our, our little baby, Aubrey, was three. Now, now my house is like a, 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 just filled with adolescent energy. <laughs> it's a whole different thing 10 years later. And um, of truth, I treasure this moment. I treasure this time. By nature, I think, um, bear with me on this one, but I think by nature I have a, a melancholy streak to me you're going, no, really? Okay, yeah, I, I do. And you know what it is? I think a lot about life, and, I, and I, I think a lot about, honestly, I think about dying, too. And uh, I think it was St. Francis who said that, well, who was said to have thought a lot, reminding himself each day that he was going to die someday, because it, it, that's who our city's named after, by the way, St. Francis. And said so that he, he would think, he thought a lot about his mortality because it, it helped him to focus better on living well for God. And there is something to be said about that. There's something about the transient nature of life that when we really think about it, it's either going to depress us or it's going to inspire us to want to live well. A lot of us don't really think about it a lot, but it's good for us too. And at the beginning of a new year, it's good for us to think about where we are, where we're going, what it is God might want to say to us about this season of our life. We know tomorrow isn't promised. But if we are allowed to live a long, full life, or longer than we would have anticipated, perhaps in some cases, and we really don't know, how should we be living? 
I mentioned to you that I really am treasuring this season. It's a beautiful time. Um, and it's not going to last. Those, those hands now that are big hands that I hold on to when I grip my son's hand, those hands were once very tiny hands that I held. And I didn't know it at the time. Because life happens gradually. And before we know it, it's changed. Solomon is musing on all these things. He goes into this extensive commentary about the nature. And if you were to read through the, the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 1, you'd hear this great man musing over the nature of life and how nature itself seems to keep going on while man passes away one generation to the next. But then he goes and he, he sort of makes another statement in Ecclesiastes 2. And I put this in the second column if you have your handout as well. He says this, because I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. Solomon writes very candidly. He's not bragging. It's the truth. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, even after all that I achieved, accomplished, possessed, and experienced. That's what he's saying. Yet when I surveyed everything that my hands had been involved with and done, when I what I had toiled over to achieve, everything left me feeling gripped with its meaninglessness. Everything was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was truly secured, gained under the sun. Because nothing lasts. That's what he was saying. Across the page, third column, there's a quotation from a man named Alistair McGrath. This is a, this, McGrath is a is a professor of historical theology in Oxford. He's just this great writer. He wrote in one of his books called Glimpsing the Face of God in Search for Meaning in the Universe. It's a big, big subtitle. Why are we here? He really digs in, and it's a beautiful little book, and he digs in to who we are in relation to this great, vast universe. And he starts talking about different people. And he says this. He says, deep down within us lies a relentless quest. Look at this third column for meaning, because that's what Solomon was wrestling with, this, why am I here? Why, what does it really mean? He says, some might say that this is nothing more than a coping mechanism, McGrath writes. He says, a lot of people say, oh, this, is just, this whole idea of God is an invention made up by the human mind to shield us. Some people say it's just to shield us from the unbearable pain of knowing that life is pointless. Then, then McGrath went on to talk about uh, Sigmund Freud and uh, how Freud argued that all this talk about God and such things was nothing more than crude wish fulfillment on the part of those who could not handle the harsh truth of a godless, meaningless universe. That was Freud's take. McGrath went on to say in, in Marx, he says, everybody's, many of us have heard of Marx. He talked about how Marx talked about religion being the opiate of the people, a narcotic that we kind of invented just to get us through the pain of a meaningless, pointless, unjust Existence. It was a very dark interpretation of life. And my point in saying all that is that McGrath then goes on, he says, and he, he sort of challenges it. Look what he says. He says, but what if these attempts, these attempts that Freud and Marx and some of these others are diminishing, he says, what if these attempts to explain away our longing for meaning are actually misguided? What if these, these statements by these individuals is actually not on the mark? What if we are meant to think such thoughts? What if the grandeur of the night sky 
was intended to trigger off a sense of longing within us and heighten it? What if nature is studded with clues to our true meaning and destiny and fingerprinted with the presence of God? I love that phrase, fingerprinted with the presence of God. Because for me, one of the most replenishing things I do in this life is that when I, and I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I got, somebody got me into backpacking a few years ago. And one of the things I love about it is I get out there in the middle of God's cathedral, what uh, John Muir called it, the manuscript of God. And I get to read about the creator. And I get to look at his art. I get to go to an art gallery and see the master's work. And it makes me feel small. And I'm reminded of my place in this universe. And yet God loves me. And yet he cares. He came to tell me that, to tell us that. I was thinking about the psalmist and how David, you know, one of the things, and it's filled with this, but in Psalm 19, think about this. He says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the firmament, that is the sky. When you look up in the night sky, is when you look up at the firmament, shows the handiwork, the artistry of God. Day unto day, utter speech. It speaks to us. Night unto night, utters knowledge. The holy is all around us, you guys. And we live in such a beautiful place. Even in the fierceness of the storms that we had, there was something about the power of this natural world that we're a part of. It's just something to me to go to see a beautiful the ocean and its vastness. You go to the mountains, you walk in the valleys, the headlands, the rivers, the leaves. They all testify. Jesus said, consider the what? The lily of the field and how it grows. Let it draw you to the God who made it. Think of its simplistic beauty, how it doesn't toil. He, he was reminding us, look at these things. Let them, let them soften your heart. A lot of times when we're around the garden, we find ourselves at peace, more open to God. There's something about that. It's like walking in this gallery. Thinking about the heavens and the earth and how each new day tells a story. Creation tells a story. You know what it tells us? It tells us a story of an all-powerful, fierce, loving, creative, artistic God. I mean, think about it. Where do you think our inclination to create came from? Some of you like to create beautiful meals. You love to cook. Some, some of us like to do other things, poems, write a poem, paint a picture. Somebody was asking, why do we do this? And I said, because we can honor God in our art. God gave us the capacity to create. When we do it for him, as unto him, or as an expression, it's something about it honors him. It becomes, in some ways, a point of worship. Why do we like to build things? What is it that, why do we build businesses? Why do we want to... Uh, you know, create a, web, a website, a page telling about us. I mean, why do we write things down to see and think and feel and share what we're, what we're going through? What is this in us? Where does this desire to love come from? Where does this longing to want to live come from? Where did it just happen? That's what, you know, God was constantly reminding us that there's something in us that is built inside of us. He called it the Imago Dei, the image of God. There's a part of the human beings that even in our, even in our brokenness, there's something about the, the imprint of the divine that sits in, it, it does, it's reflected in our lives and it shows up when we love a lot of times, this yearning to love, this yearning to live, this yearning to create things, this, this yearning to just do something because we want to do something beautiful. Where does that come from? It was put in us. There's a longing for a home that's in us. We long to live. We long for more. Where did that, where did that come from? Where, it's, it, it matters. 
So, okay. We think about it. And uh, I'm going to say that it came from God. I'm going to say God put it in us. Human beings are drawn to worship. If they don't worship God, they worship other people, or they worship a business, or they worship some, something. The inclination to worship something is there. Where did that come from? I'm going to say that as we move into this new year, that the God of all creation, we'll just maybe this, I'm going to try to just have us jot some things down or think about some things. Here's just my, some things I want to share and, and submit. As we move into this series, as we move into this new year, I want to suggest that the God of all creation desires to create new things in us. And that's inspiring to me. That he wants to work in our lives in fresh new ways. That he wants to grow aspects of our personality that are underdeveloped. That he wants to break us into new dimensions of freedom. Some of us, this is our year to break free from some very bad habits. And some tendencies that we've been justifying because, well, that's the way I was raised, or that's just the way I am, or I, I can't help myself. You know what God's saying? You know what? He whom the Son sets free can be free indeed. There's elements of freedom, dimensions of freedom, dimensions of breakthrough that God wants to bring. And a lot of times it's in those places where we feel we do not have that power is when we really see God. And there are things that we can do that God wants to open us up to. Points of, of you know, and I could, just, I could just talk about this and spend the rest of our time here. But I'm going to say that there are areas that God wants to continue. I pray to God that we're not the same at the end of this year that we were at the beginning. I pray there's some element of Christ-likeness that is increasingly developed. It may not look like a lot, but if it's a little bit, it'll show up. That we're more able to be a reflection of Him. That we're a better, I said it, a better version of who we were meant to be. This should be a year of growth for us. A year of improvement. But it's going to happen when we decide we want to see it happen. And God, I'm saying, is God wants to do new things. The Creator wants to create in us new things, new chapters, new stories. This is something about the way the Lord works. I often use this, you hear me use this phrase, the breakdown that leads to the breakthrough, that leads to the breakout. And there are times when we come to the end of ourselves and we're just, we're ready. We're ready for a change. And we say, God, help me. And in that place, when we begin to get others involved and we bring in others in and we're getting more open and transparent and we're not just trying to do this thing by ourselves, all of a sudden we begin to find that God's showing up and things that we're holding us back are all of a sudden falling off and new things are emerging. Other parts of us are coming alive again that we thought they were dead and would never return. God brings back things to life. He's the God of Genesis, new beginning. I've seen it too many times. I, I've seen it, seen it in my own heart. So I think that God wants to bring things, and this could be a great year for some of us, a year of breakthrough. Secondly, I want to suggest that we would do well, all of us in this, in this house, in this church, in this community, we would do well to consider the season of life that we're in. What I mean by that, where are we? In life, and we're going to explore that in the coming weeks. Are we in spring? Are we in summer? Are we in fall? Are we, are we in winter? Are we are we at a point in our lives where we uh, we need to be thinking about the season of our life? Because you know each season has its own distinctives. It has its own wisdom. It has its own gift and and uh, uniqueness. There are dangers and opportunities that are unique to each season of our life. 
summer and spring and fall and winter all have different, think about it, in the natural, we understand that seasons are different. Just think about how we dress. We dress differently for summer than we do for winter. I mean, I didn't see too many people walking out in shorts in the last couple of days. It's winter and stormy and people were bundled up. Why? Because we understood that's appropriate for the season. This is true in life. We need to think about where we are. And that leads me right into the next thought, which is this. Not only do we need to identify where we are, but we need to think about what it means to gracefully embrace the season that we're in. I'm going to suggest that we don't fight it. That we don't try to be something that some place that we're not. We need to learn to be at peace in the season that we're in. We can't go back and redo a season, although people try all the time. We really do. And there's nothing, uh, there, there are few things more sad than someone who is in one season is trying to live like they're still in another. And there are few things that are more impressive than someone who has gracefully embraced the season that they're in and is trying to live in it well. There's something inspiring about it. And I know why we do that. You know, because there's so much pressure from our culture. I'm going to say it. There's so much pressure on us to stay young. And, to, and, I, and I'm okay. I'm, I get that. I'm part of it. I'm not exempt from it. I'm just the whole deal. I understand it. The endless summer. Let's keep it going. You know, whatever. Spring. See, I, all this. But this, we, people get stuck in places and make bad decisions in places because we're letting our identity get wrapped up in the wrong things. And we need to learn how to live well in the season of our life that we're in. And there's a way to do it. And we're going to talk about that. I'm, I'm going to suggest that that's what God wants us to do. And the last thing I'll say around that is that I think God wants us to grow in the season that we're in. And well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. Um, I'm just going to complete this out by sharing a couple of things it means to me. And if you can live out of it, and so be it. But one of the things I feel like growing might look like here is living with a higher degree of healthy detachment. What I mean by that is to make sure that our identity is in the right place, to not always clutch onto things and not to hold them too tightly. There's a, there's a way of, of living that, that, you know, sometimes can suffocate things because we're afraid. And so we, we, we out of our fear of losing, we, we clutch it. And when we clutch things in life, a lot of times we kill what it was meant to be. And we need to be able to live. That's what I mean by a healthy detachment. I'm not talking about numb, unfeeling, uncaring. You know, I'm not involved. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not talking. I'm talking about really being able to live in a way that can grip something, yes, but also can let things go. I don't die. I'm not tied to that. God loves me. I am who I am in him. At the end of the day, my identity is there which sometimes we, we want to hold on to people or we, we want to hold on to some perception of what success should look like. And, and I'm going to say that, you know what? Remember, we're passing through. Nothing is, we don't control things. Well, everything we have will be let go of someday. I, am a, I believe in achievement, but our worth is not in our achievement. In God's eyes, it's not there. I, last I checked, our titles and our degrees don't really follow us into eternity. 
nor our possessions, nor our possessions. And how much peace do we lose because of things being ruined? How many people do we push to a side in pursuit of some of our ambitions? And I want to say that we need to think about the right things and love the right things. And, and just, again, quickly, just for the, the sake of time, and only I'm talking about healthy detachment, I'm going I'm to suggest that we need to make sure that we, uh, we, we, don't, we don't allow ourselves to be taken by offense. Stay with me on this one. I'm talking about relational health. Uh, we will always have reasons to be offended. We will always have reasons. We were passed by. Somebody didn't say something. You know, someone hurt me. They were uncaring or insensitive. I know. And I know there's a lot of big things that really do hurt in life. But I'm going to say that we would do well to not focus on the flaw and focus more on the blessing. We would do better. If we want to, look, that's what I mean. We take offense and then we're taken by that offense and we begin to be defined by it. God doesn't want us to live cynical, angry, bitter, that's not his way. But you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how I feel. I don't, and I don't, totally. But I know this, that the, when we allow the hurts of life to imprison us, it begins to take a toll on us. It's too much to bear. We need to learn how to, how to let things go and, and, and ask God to work and show up and, and live lightly. Jesus said, take my yoke on you. Learn of me. You know, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's not meant to be a heavy thing. Don't let darkness prevail. Some of us need to open up the curtains. We have the light come in. Stop mourning. Stop being angry. Let it be. I, let it be. Last thing I'll say is the really what I, is that we need to we need to really think about what's most important and pour our heart into it. I'm talking about priorities. I'm talking about our spiritual life. Yeah, I am. I'm going to say that what matters most of all is your walk with God. And second, like Jesus taught us, how we love people, and especially the people we've made commitments to. In a generation that doesn't want to be tied down, God wants to teach us how to love well. There, the Lord wants us to grow in love with him. When we sang in that second song, I love you, what we sing to enhances what it becomes to us. When we speak to God, I love you, Lord, our love for him grows. And that's true for anybody in our life. That's the power of words. That's why I need to be reminded not just to say it only when I feel it. Well, aren't you being disingenuous? No, because if I only go by how I feel, it will be very, it's a very fickle thing. I, I'm a, I need to speak blessing because Jesus called us to be blessers. Be life givers.